This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. How do Christian married people treat each other in their marriage? What's the rule of conduct for them? Do they judge how they shall behave toward their spouse on the basis of how their spouse behaves toward them? Do they say, well, if that's the way he is, I'll be this way? Or, well, when she does this, then I'll think about showing some consideration? No. No, the Bible says that's the thinking of the proud flesh. The rule of conduct for Christian married people, as well as for all Christians, is that new and blessed way revealed in the Holy Scriptures. The Apostle Paul captures it in these words in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The rule of conduct in the Christian marriage is that the measure of God's grace to me in Christ must also be the measure of my grace and kindness shown to my spouse, or Put it this way, I must consciously mirror the grace that God has shown to me in Christ to my spouse. And if you ask, well, why exactly is that for marriage? Then the answer of the Bible is because marriage has been designed by God intentionally to be the picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is the model. Marriage is the showcase. Marriage is the mirror. Marriage is the demonstration in this present world of what it means that Christ and the church are bound together in a covenant, an eternal faithful covenant of love and grace. In order to display what that means, God has given marriage. Marriage is to be a picture of Christ in the church, and because it is a picture of Christ in the church, the foundation of marriage and the standard of conduct of all marriage in Christ's name is we are to treat each other even as Christ has treated us. Now I was saying that the Apostle Paul gives this rule of conduct both to married people and to all Christians in Colossians chapter 3 the verses 12 and 13. Let's read the whole passage. But put on, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The Apostle Paul is saying to us that when we know God's forgiving grace to us personally, then we will also follow a certain dress code. We will be anxious and desirous that there be a certain inward spiritual dress code that we will put on. He says, 
put on, therefore, as elect of God, bowels of mercies, and so on. What he says is very beautiful. The words of this passage could well be used for a wedding meditation. He says, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And anyone who is married can immediately sense the relevance of that passage to their married life. In effect, the Apostle Paul is saying to us, the first question you need to ask is, Who are you? Who am I? Before you get dressed inwardly, before you decide what you're going to put on, how you're going to, what things you're going to display in your life, before you do that, you need to ask the question, Who am I by the grace of God? What moral, spiritual attitudes ought I to be displaying based upon who I am in Jesus Christ? And so he says, put on, and he tells us what we need to put on, bowels of mercies, kindness, and humbleness. But before he gets to what we have to put on, that spiritual wardrobe, before he says that, he says, put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved. In other words, before you, um, before I tell you what to put on, first I need to tell you who you are. First look in the mirror and see who you are by the grace of God. Put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Remember who you are. Three glorious identities must be before us before we go to the spiritual wardrobe and pick out what we are going to display or what we're going to put on. We must remember first that by God's grace, we are the elect of God or the chosen of God. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. And that is a thrilling, humbling doctrine. We are God's elect. This election, according to the scripture, took place before the foundation of the world when God chose us out of mere grace to belong to Jesus Christ. The Apostle puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. According as he hath chosen us in him, or Christ, before the foundation of the world, before God laid the foundation of the world, or before he created, that is, before time was, he has chosen us in Christ before he created, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Solely, solely by God's free choice and free grace, not based upon anything in ourselves, simply because God would, because God would be gracious, God elected those whom he would save in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to teach us in Romans chapter 9 that this election was based before we were born or before we had done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election would stand not of works but of God who would call. Out of mere grace God chose his children. The Apostle Paul treasured this. He saw this as the only source and spring of salvation he treasured it so that, you might remember, he goes on to say 
In Romans chapter 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The wonder of being invincibly loved by God, eternally loved of God, graciously loved of God. Oh, what a thrilling and what a humbling doctrine. The Apostle says, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved. The word holy is a word in the Bible that refers to something that is separated from the common and dedicated to the special service of God. It's something that's set apart for God. So the scriptures teach that God chose us. He elected us for a purpose. We read just a moment ago in Ephesians 1 verse 4, He chose us in Christ that we might be holy and without blame before Him in love. According to His eternal love, He pulls us out of the world, out of the pit of sin, He works in our hearts the new life of Jesus Christ so that we might be set aside for his use. Listen to what Paul, what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. He says, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So it was not that we were first good, And then God chose us out of the mob of sinners. But no, God called us out of his free grace. God made us holy. God cleansed us in Christ in order that then we might be holy in Christ. And then he says, put on as elect of God, holy and beloved. Loved of God. The God, the maker of the universe, the eternal and the perfect, glorious, beautiful God, has loved us merely out of His grace. He willed to draw us unto Himself. He so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, husband and wife, all of us, we must see this. We must savor this. We must get our life from this. We must place our hope in this. By the mercy of God, we are the chosen, the holy, the loved of God. And since that's who we are, or who we have become by God's mercy, on the basis of that, get dressed. On the basis of that, put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness. In other words, how does a chosen, holy, loved child of God adorn themselves? What inward spiritual dress do they put on? What do they want to appear from their lives? The Apostle says there will be three wonderful groups. Three groups, both possessing, all three possessing an inward and an outward. The first is bowels of mercy and kindness. That is, the inward thing will be the bowel of mercy. The exterior will be the kindness. Bowels refer to one's intestines, or literally, guts of mercy. Bowels is where we feel our emotions. We say we feel it in our guts, in our stomach. It means, bowels of mercy, to be moved by the mercy of God, God's great compassion for miserable sinners. There is something stirring in you. It's not just the notion floating in your head, but the mercy of God to me, 
making me filled also with mercy, so that it comes out in kindness. When you know the mercy of God, it will be reflected in a life of kindness. That's how you will treat people, especially when you are shunned or when you are hurt. You will be kind. Kindness in the marriage and in the home, the feeling of mercy and kindness toward your wife or toward your husband. And isn't it strange that we can treat people civilly almost anywhere else? but not at home. The Word of God is, Husbands, sink your roots by faith into Christ and to the forgiving grace of Christ. Become more and more a merciful person. Express that in deeds of kindness. Battle that unmerciful, sinful person inside of you who wants to get your hands around the neck of your wife. Deal with her in kindness. And wives, sink your roots into the mercies of Jesus Christ. Fight that anger. Fight that critical attitude. Fight resentment and show forth kindness. The next group is humility of mind. That's the inward. And meekness. That's the outward. Inward, humility of mind expressed in meekness. Humility of mind is literally lowliness of mind. It's the right concept of ourselves so that we're not stuck on ourselves or full of ourselves or proud. And when we are lowly of mind, then we will express that in meekness, which counts the other better than ourselves and wants the other to be advanced and sees ourselves as a servant of them. That's meekness. That's what happens when we are lowly in Christ. We're talking here of a miracle. This is an absolute miracle of grace. This is impossible to be meek, for us to get low, to want someone to esteem someone better than ourselves, to want them to be exalted above ourselves. We don't want that according to our sinful flesh. And even in Jesus Christ, that sinful flesh rages in us, and this is not easy. We say, well, let them have it. Look what they did to me. I'll give her a piece of my mind. How dare he? Sink your roots into the gospel of the grace of Christ. And if you are behaving in the manner that I just mentioned, out of that proud, resentful way, repent. You need to have a right mind about you, a lowly mind knowing the mercies of Christ expressed in all meekness. And then finally, the Apostle says, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Long-suffering is patience. It means that if you have a short fuse, you must get on your knees and pray for a really long fuse. James says in James 1 that we must be slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak. Anger is a marriage killer. Where does anger come from in your marriage? The roots of rage. You say, I'm so angry. I see red. I could kill. Well, anger is rooted in unbelief and in pride. It's rooted in not embracing and treasuring the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I, by grace, am now chosen, holy and loved of God and forgiven. And it's the sinful pride. In a parable that Jesus spoke of a man who was forgiven a great debt and went out and was angry with his brother who owed him a little 
little trifle. And he grabbed his brother by the throat and he cried out, Pay me what thou owest. Now why? Why was he so angry? Would you say, well, this is a guy who obviously needs anger management classes. He's got issues. No. The Lord says his anger was based in this. He did not know what it was to be forgiven. He was proud before God. That was the basis of his anger. He was proud before God. The apostle says to us today, Christ has forgiven you. You are the holy and the beloved of God. That solves a thousand issues in your marriage and in your family or among your teenagers and with parents. No, those issues that I say are solved are not issues that just fade and go away or that all of a sudden are gone. It means that every day you need, every day you need to go back to the cross and hear the word of the cross of Jesus Christ. It certainly means that you and your wife, your husband and your family, you all need to go to church your whole life long, twice on the Lord's Day, and sit under the gospel of the grace of God and the cross. But it means that every day under the gospel, under the cross, your problems become less complicated. And to the degree that you distance your heart from the cross, to that degree your wife pays or your husband pays in your marriage. And your marriage experiences strife and hurt and anger and resentment and you hurt each other. Why? Because you have allowed your heart as a child of God to be distant from the message of the cross. Under the cross, two children of God live together and glorious things can happen. We begin to behave to each other like Christ. Apostle emphasizes that in a Christ-like behavior in marriage, we will forbear one another. Forbear is to endure. And that certainly doesn't sound romantic, doesn't sound too romantic. You have to endure with your wife and you have to forbear your husband. Well, remember, first of all, that it's something that Christ does and does all the time. Luke chapter 9, verse 41, talking to his disciples, he says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you, forbear you? How long shall I put up with this? Forbearing is a grace that we will not need in heaven because we will be perfect. But it is a grace that we need now and we need lots of it because we sin repeatedly. Enduring, forbearing one another. That's stick in there. Bear those sins. Bear those slights in kindness and in meekness even as Christ to you. You say this doesn't sound too romantic? 
Do you remember what the definition of love is according to God's word, 1 Corinthians 13? Look it up. You will find this description of love. Bears all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another even as Christ hath forgiven you. The word means graciously give. Someone wrongs you. Someone hurts you. Someone disappoints you. They are in your debt. You say, I'll make them pay. I'll get the last word. I'll mope and... I'll get my way, and oh, he'll pay for that, or she will pay for that. Listen. Do you listen to yourself sometimes? Do you listen? Listen to yourself. What are you saying? Where would you be today if Christ ever spoke to you that way? This is like Christ. This is the purpose of your marriage. This models Christ in the church, that you and I say, I will not treat my spouse badly because of their sins and annoying habits. I won't do that, but I will treat them on the basis of what Christ has done for me. And then I will forbear, which means, yes, those sins and habits really bother me. But those sins and habits are not bigger than what I have done and what Christ has done for me in the cross. When you get married, you don't know what it will be like in 10, 20, or 30 years. Our fathers crafted wedding vows with, with which face reality. They crafted their vows with their face to reality. This is the vow. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. And thereto I pledge you my faithfulness. How can anyone vow that? This is how. Beneath the shadow of the cross, under the grace of God, knowing that we are chosen, holy, and beloved of God, when we know that we are forgiven by Christ, then out of that experience of His perfect love, we are ready to vow an undying love for our spouse. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word and we pray for its blessing upon our spirits. Make our hearts receptive to Thy Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail 
at reformedwitnesshour.org.